Okay, we are reading in John chapter 12. And last time we read John chapter 12, verse 26, where Jesus said, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. John 12:26. And where I am, there my servant will be also. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. That's what we read last time. And, and uh, we focused in on that. And it's interesting, just through this, this past two weeks, I've heard people coming up to me talking about instances in their lives where they've really dedicated their life to, to serving the Lord, even through their, their work, and how much God was just blessing their lives. How much God was, was pouring out. And I've seen this in the lives of people. That when you set yourself up in a place to give of yourself in service to the Lord, God opens up doors that, that just we don't deserve. He does it. And He just pours out into our laps blessing upon blessing. Why some believers uh, accept this and walk in it and others don't, I'm not sure. But uh, it is there for any believer that will take hold of this. So let's pick it up in verse 27 and let me, let me remind you in John chapter 12, verse 27, we are in Monday of the last week of Jesus' life. He's going to be crucified on a Friday and, and uh, uh, we are in, in the, uh, the, that Monday, so just a few days before the time when He's going to be crucified. And He well knows this. He well knows the Passover is coming. He well knows that He is the Passover Lamb who is going to be crucified. And now he begins to speak in verse 27. He says, Now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I both glorified it and I will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. And others were saying an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. The crowd then answered, We have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe believe in the light, so that you may become the sons of light. These things Jesus spoke, and he went away and hid himself from them. Okay, so looking back up at verse at verse 27, Jesus said, My soul has become troubled. So even Jesus, the Son of God, His soul at times was troubled. So just to have a troubled soul is not a sin. Just to be stirred up inside is not a sin. He said, My soul has become troubled. Now, mind you, this was the Son of God. Look at what He was facing though. He was going to have all the sin of all the world, from Adam, throughout all the course of human history, piled on him. So this is no small thing. Now, many men have been crucified. But Jesus, in a spiritual sense, had all the sin of the world piled upon him. 
this is a pretty heavy load to carry. I mean, just one or two of us, collectively our sin, piling upon a person can be quite a lot. But imagine all of human beings piling upon Jesus. So it's understandable that his soul might be troubled here. And he says, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. So remember this when we're in the garden. Jesus never was going to shun away from this. He said, my soul has become troubled, but I have no intent of turning away from this. He well knew that he had to die on the cross. Without his death on the cross, there would be no forgiveness of sins. He was never shying away from that. He says, my soul has become troubled. So to, so to have your soul troubled by the things that come upon us in this world is not a sin, nor is it unusual. You lose a loved one. You go through the pain of the loss of a job. I mean, souls can become troubled. Even good Christian soul can become troubled. And he says, Father, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For this purpose I came. He says, this is the reason I came. I'm not asking to be delivered from anything, from the purpose for which I came. Then he just says, Father, glorify your name. So look at the perspective. He says, in what I'm going through, Father, glorify your name. I mean, this is a hint for us here. There's got to be something here. That when you're going through something, that's no fault of your own. I mean, we do bring things upon ourselves because of faults of our own. You walk in in sin and disobedience and and, and things come upon us. But there are other things we have nothing to do with, per se. It's just what life deals out to us. You're crossing the road and you get hit by a car. I mean, was this because of an act of sin? I mean, no, you just forgot to look or something. Or someone ran a stop sign or something. He He says, in the midst of this, Father, glorify your name. So rather than accusing the Father of being too hard on him, He says, Father, in the midst of this, glorify your name. Might this be a secret for changing the whole way we would look at difficult situations? Might this be a secret? Look, how did Jesus handle a difficult time, a difficult situation in his life? He said, Father, through this, glorify your name. I mean, sometimes because of no fault of an individual, their spouse might divorce them. I mean... Sometimes people just try and try, and because of another individual in that marriage, the other individual, there'd be, so there's this, all this turmoil. Might it be, Father, glorify your name? Could it be that that would turn around the sense and, t- and, and, and make it so I'm not just looking in at myself all the time, but saying, Father, through this, glorify your name? And it says, Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So this is the third time that God speaks audibly in the life of Jesus Christ. This is the third time that there's this audible voice. It's this, it's in, in Hebrew, it's called this batkal. It's this, this audible voice of God that comes. The, the first time was at His baptism when He said, Behold, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The second time was on the Mount of Transfiguration, where God spoke. And, and, uh, uh, and this is the third time the audible voice comes. A voice came out of heaven, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. So look at what the Father does. He prays, he, he says, Father, glorify your name. 
The Father says, I've glorified it and I'm going to glorify it again. Immediate answer. Immediate answer to what Jesus prayed. And it says, so the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. And others were saying an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said to them, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. That's interesting. He says, there's this audible voice. This has not come for my sake. In other words, I didn't need God's audible voice to keep me encouraged. I didn't need God's audible voice to let me know that He was going to glorify His name. That He's both glorified it and going to be glorified. This audible voice came for your sake. You will find sometimes when a believer, when, when, when a, a, a person comes to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ on the day of their salvation or in leading up to their salvation, or at the event of their salvation, something profound occurs where, where, where God in some intense way reveals themselves, him, Himself to them. Or they'll, they'll pray a prayer and God answers it in this remarkable way for this new believer. And you're like, wow, what's going on? Look at that new believer. I mean, God's never spoken to me like that and I've been walking with Him for ten years. Why is He speaking to them like that? Because they need it. Because they need it. Jesus said, this voice hasn't come for my sake, but for your sake. Very often in the life of a new believer, God will come in some dramatic way or answer some dramatic prayer just to underscore His presence to this new believer. But you can't live there. In other words, you can't become dependent on those Great expressions of God's presence. Because what is He trying to do? He's causing us to begin to walk with Him by faith. Where we by faith take hold of His Word. He said, I didn't need this voice. This voice actually came for your sake. I mean, this is here for you because because you're, you're, you're kind of small in your faith. I didn't need it. You needed it. God does this, and then He causes us to mature. I'll, I'll give you an example. If, if uh, say you're 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 uh, courting a young lady, a guy's courting a young lady, and and the two of them happen to to pass by in in, in the college, you know, and it, and if if the young man doesn't say to the young lady, "Hey, just stop. How are you doing? How are you feeling today? Everything okay?" I'm doing great, and they walk. If the young man should just walk on by without saying anything, this woman's going to be like, oh, he doesn't like me anymore. What's wrong with him? I mean, just and you know, and she'll start thinking evil of him and all these things. Now, the difference is this: I've been married 32 years. I can walk by my wife, and and I don't have to stop and say, "Hey, how are you doing today? You doing all right? Everything okay?" I can walk right by her, and she doesn't question that I still love her. I mean, I'm just off in my own world. And it, it, there's not this great offense. And, and uh, so, so you see that, that uh, there's a depth of relationship that comes through years of knowing each other where you don't have to stop all the time and hold their hand and say, I love you. I really... I mean, it's, it, it's kind of understood. And, and it's not that, that you don't say that I love you. It's just, that, it's just that you don't have to say it every second. Because there's a depth of understanding there that comes in marriage that, that and, and so if, if um, you know if, if, if I see if, if I see some man come and sit down 
next to my wife in the chair, I don't start feeling jealous like, oh, her heart's drifting away from me. I don't feel jealous at all because I know her heart is for me. But you begin to court a girl and another guy sits by and you're like, hey, bud, you know, she and I are together. I brought her here, you know, and we don't have to do that because there's a depth of relationship that occurs. And this is what walking with the Lord is, that, that uh, uh, there are things that happen early on in your experience with the Lord and the Lord doesn't keep you there. He brings you on to maturity so that there's an assurance of His love that goes way beyond just His little answer to your trite little prayer that day. Whether He answers my prayer that day or not, His love is assured for me. My love is not based on Him giving me this little trinket that I've prayed for this day or not. I mean, His love for me is sure. And then, and then Jesus goes on, <clears throat> verse 31, he says, Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. So, you say cast out? In other words, Satan has been cast out. Why is he always giving, tr- giving us troubles? Well, we know from Revelation chapter 12 that when Jesus was born, Satan was cast into this world in a way that was extraordinary. And it says, woe to the earth in the way he's come down. When Jesus was born, Satan was cast into this world to cause troubles. And you will see in the Gospels, Jesus is constantly being confronted by demonic powers. Constantly being confronted by demons. And then what happens is, right after the crucifixion, the whole thing changes. And you see confrontations with the the demonic between the, the, the apostles. And, and demon-filled people. But it's sporadic. I mean, you will go decades before you see another one of these things pop up. So within the entire book of Acts, which spans decades, you have two or three occurrences, three or four occurrences. That's it. It's not like in the Gospels with Jesus where you see much more of these. You would think that at the rate at which you see it in the Gospels, if that's the current rate, you know, I just don't see it. I must not be walking with the Lord because demon-possessed people aren't falling down all the time in front of me. But you look at the book of Acts, and it's a lot more consistent with what we see. Now, I've dealt with demon-possessed people, but I don't deal with them every year, every day, let alone even every year. Now, there are some areas of the world that you can go to where there's more activity and you'll deal with it more. But you see that in many senses, indeed, this very extreme influence of Satan upon the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, you don't see that level of confrontation anymore, even in the Scriptures. And if the Scriptures are our basis, look at the pattern of Scriptures. So to think that every day, you know, that you know, Satan's coming at you, it's different. There's no doubt of his activity in the world. No doubt about it. But it's a different level. So that extreme intensity that comes in and that's spoken about in Revelation chapter 12 at the birth of the Son is going to be relieved at his resurrection. And, and for good reason. Because I'm not sure we could handle it. And then it says, and if and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. That's an interesting comment. That comment refers, refers back up to, to this, the top of, of, of what we covered last time, which is back up in verse 20, when some Greeks came 
these were Gentile Jews wanted to see Jesus, his response to them is that, his response is, is, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. That's his response. So remember, all of this was catalyzed by, by, by uh, uh, their going to Philip and, and then Andrew and Philip coming and sharing with Jesus that these Greeks want to see you. And you wonder, has Jesus even answered the question, can they come and see Jesus? And Jesus is saying, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. In other words, the Gentile kingdom, although he had great ministry to Gentiles, many times as we've covered, he says, right now, I'm coming to the Jewish people at this instant, but as soon as I'm lifted up, all men are going to come to me. And this, this, uh, from the earth, speaks of the Gentile nations will be coming in mass to him. And we're going to see this, and this happens in, in Acts chapter 8. You see it start opening up. Uh, uh, it, it opens up uh, uh, first to Samaritans, and then and in Acts chapter 9, it, you see this opening to the Gentiles. And he says, once this occurs, so his answer to the Greeks is, once I'm lifted up, all men are going to be able to come to me. This is the answer. You just had to wait through a little bit of a discourse before you got the answer. Then he says, but... He was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. And it's a good thing that he told us this. Or else we might think, if, if I be lifted up from the earth, uh, maybe if I lift him up in praise, that's what he means. No, he clarified. He says that he was speaking about what kind of death he was about to die. He was hung on a cross. In other words, he's lifted up on the cross. How do we know this? Because he said it. The Bible says it. He was describing what kind of death to indicate what kind of death he was to die. It was no mystery to Jesus that he was going to die on a cross. The crowd then answered him, We have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So, you know, this name, Son of Man, is the name by which Jesus primarily referred to himself. Now, Ezekiel was called Son of Man by God, referred to Ezekiel many times. He said, Son of Man. He would speak to Ezekiel rather than saying Ezekiel. He called him Son of Man. Jesus referred to himself as Son of Man. So, it's not a unique term. It's not unique, but it, but it, is, it is something that um, uh, uh, Jesus referred to himself as this. And, he, he, and so, they say, Who is this Son of Man? And Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among us. Is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke, and he went away and hid himself from them. So look what he says. He says, you know, the light is among you, and the light's not going to be here much longer. Darkness is going to come and it's going to overtake you. He says, while you have the light, believe in the light. And then, then, uh, um, then it says, he went and he hid himself. So he says, the light's among you. And he went and he intentionally hid himself. You say, well, why did he do that? Why didn't he just tell them more? Just keep telling them and telling them and telling them. No, he told them. And he said, the light's among you. Believe while you have the light. And then he went and he hid himself. And it says, but in verse 37, but though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they would 
they were not believing in him. Some people think that if they could just see a sign, if God would just manifest some sign, then they would believe. Remember I was sharing once with a guy, um, when, when I was in graduate school, I, I went into one of these buildings and I was sharing with a guy. And this guy said, well, and, and there was an ashtray sitting on the table. And I know in university buildings you don't see ashtrays sitting on tables anymore. But they used to have ashtrays sitting on tables. And so he said, well... If God is real, have him have that ashtray just lift up. If it lifts up from the table, then I'll believe. Well, what makes you think you would believe if you saw that ashtray rise? What makes you think that you would believe more if you saw any sign, any miracle? What makes you think that you would believe more? Because in the Scriptures, it is full of God doing acts, God doing great signs. Men, it says... He had performed many signs before them, yet they were not believing in Him. If you think that if you saw some sign like that, then you would believe, you wouldn't. What makes you think that? There's no scriptural indication to show that you would think that. And in fact, what happens is, we have this amazing ability to explain signs away. Oh, the ashtray just rose up because... A wind came in and just happened to lift it up. We'd explain it away. We always do. People have the ability to explain things away. All that, well, it, you know, yeah, I, I prayed that if God, if you're real, that, that I would, you know, I'd see a rainbow today. And, well, it just happened to rain and I saw a rainbow. Huh? You know, you'll always explain the thing away. There is nothing in Scripture that indicates that because of a sign, you will believe all the more. In fact, it's just the opposite. And what it led to was a willful disobedience. A willful disobedience. They saw all of this, and he says, the light is going to leave you. And if you think this doesn't happen today, it does. There are times in our lives where we're able to hear the Word of God. And then things happen in our lives. Things change. So, for example... What happens is sometimes pressures come in a life. You may be in a college experience able to hear the things of God. And you think, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll decide next year. Well, you don't know that next year is going to come. And what happens in life is, is there's this, this encroachment of things upon you. So you graduate, and you, eh, when I graduate, I'll have more time. You just don't have more time. You know, you get this mortgage on your house. You get, you get these car payments you've got to make. You get this spouse that's kind of unruly. You get children that are unruly. And you get, you get all these things that are just, and it, they're just pulling at you. And you're trying to work, and, and your central processing unit is just divided into a million different calculations going on of all the junk going on in your life. And you become unable to hear the Word of God. That's why God calls us to respond when the light is amongst us. Let me give you another example of this. If you turn to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. In the middle of your Bible, you'll find the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms is the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1. And we're going to start reading from verse 20. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20. Wisdom shouts in the street... She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing. And fools 
hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my Spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. So, what, what this is saying is wisdom cries out. It just cries out. And there are three classes of people here. There are naive ones. It says in verse 22, How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And then the next category is scoffers. Scoffers who delight themselves. So, so to be naive is one thing. Well, you know, I wasn't aware of it. Scoffers are those who, 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 who hear it and they just, you know, they put it down. Scoffers delight themselves. And fools hating knowledge. So there are three categories of people. Naive, scoffers, and fools who absolutely hate knowledge. So wisdom is coming and addressing all of them. But what I want you to see is that the fate for all of them is the same. Then he says, turn to my reproof. I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. But now look in verse 24 of Proverbs chapter 1. Because I called to you and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like the whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Now, this is really interesting. So he says, because you neglected to take hold of this, here's what's going to happen. He says, uh, 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 I will laugh at your calamity. So in other words, your calamity is coming. You say, well, that's not a very Christian response. He's going to laugh. Well, it's wisdom. Wisdom cries out. God pours out wisdom. And it says, wisdom will laugh when the calamity comes if wisdom is rejected. I'll give you an example. I... I speak to people all the time at what makes a healthy marriage, what makes a healthy relationship. Marrying a spouse who loves the Lord. Marry a spouse who loves the Lord. Not because the guy is a great football player and handsome and, 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 and just, just you know really good looking. That's not what makes a good spouse. What makes a good spouse is what's within the heart. It's not just this drop-down dead pretty woman. It's what's in the heart. Does she know the Lord? You go against this and your calamity will come. I know it because I've seen it. Your calamity will come. You will be saddened. And then you're going to try to raise your children and there's going to be this discord in the home. And the children will generally follow the path of least resistance and go the way that does not, does not necessarily mean seeking the Lord. And it says that wisdom is going to say, I told you. I told you. It says, when your dread comes like a storm, when calamity comes like a whirlwind with distress and anguish. And it says, and then you'll call upon me and I will not answer. You say, well, that's contrary to the Word of God. Because we call upon the Lord and He answers. You, what happens is there's so much junk that's come upon a life. You think that you get into that relationship and you walk down that pathway and then 20 years into this this hell of a marriage and this hell of a bringing up of children, you're going to cry out to the Lord and boom, everything is, oh, okay, now you prayed, okay, poof, everything's better, everybody believes all the children are good. Does that happen? Does not life itself tell us that that doesn't happen that way? There's great anguish. 
You call on the Lord all you want. It's not going to take the 20 years of disobedience and all of a sudden make it magically new. What it can do in an instant of calling upon Him is people can get saved. But still, just getting saved doesn't all of a sudden make a marriage better. I mean, there's a lot of work that has to be done. And, and who do you, how do you know that that one that you married is going to call upon the Lord? How do you know that these children that are now on the scene are going to call upon the Lord? All of this, it comes. Jesus said, while the light is with you, make a decision for me. While the light is with you, because the light is going to be going. There is a day of salvation. Don't let this thing go. You may think, oh, well, you know, we'll hear it again next week. We'll make a decision next week. You don't know if next week will come. He says, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Verse 30, they would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them. The complacency of fools will destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. Wow, what a promise. He who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. Now, this does not mean that Christians never go through problems in their lives. That's not what it means at all. But he says, you don't have to live with this dread of evil. You can be free of the dread of evil. I'll tell you, it is a terrible thing to wake up scared. It is a terrible thing to be really worried and scared all the time. You know, um, uh, when, when 9-11 occurred and all this was going on, they, there were letters coming in the mail to, to, uh, to politicians that had anthrax in these letters. And, and uh, you know, I started just thinking about this. Wow, anthrax in letters. Maybe I should... You know, stick my mail in the microwave and just microwave and kill any organisms that might be in there. You think, that's just strange. I'm just telling you what went through my mind. And so I tried an experiment. I just took some mail and stuck it in a microwave. Just thought, you know, 20 seconds, I'll microwave this. So if there any, are any microorganisms in there, they're fried. It's, it's not a bad thought. And so, I, you know, but then I'm worried about it. I'm like, what's going on here? All of a sudden, the more I think about this, the more I was like, Worrying and worrying and worrying. It was just a spiral. Has that ever happened to you where you worried about a situation that you really shouldn't be worrying about, but you, the more you think about it, it's just like, man, it's going to be really bad. It's just the end of the world. After a few minutes, it's the end of the world. And then, you know, the whole thing just goes away. You think, oh, this is a bunch of nonsense. It goes away. It's not the end of the world anymore. And, and uh, you don't have to live in this dread of evil. When you have the Lord, you don't have to live that, oh, what happens if, if I marry the wrong person? Look, you do this according to the standards of the Lord. You're not going to marry the wrong person. You check them out and you make sure that they love the Lord. You, make, you watch to see what kind of person they are. Do they know how to pray or is their only prayer, thank you for this food, amen. If that's the only thing they can pray, they've got a problem. But, you know, you watch the pattern of prayer. You watch their pattern of behavior. And then you, you don't fall into this mistake. There is great blessing. While the light is here, respond to the light. Some of you don't know the Lord. You don't know when the time will come. There are things that are going to encroach in life. While the Lord is accessible, ask Him into your heart. Ask Him into your heart this day. 
while He is, is accessible, before He is hidden from you, ask Him into your life. Because life has a way of obscuring us from the Lord. While He's accessible, call upon Him. I'm going to pray, and in this time, if you don't know the Lord, say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Come into my life. And in this time, as I pray, if you're a believer, but you've just been going against biblical patterns, just say, Lord, let me follow your wisdom and the wisdom and the lifestyle that you have for me, lest my dread come and wisdom laugh at me, lest my dread come upon me. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your mercies and Your grace this day. Thank You, Lord, for Your kindness, for Your Word. And Lord, I pray for those here that do not know You. And Lord, I ask that You would so draw them to Yourself that this very day, this very day, that they would make a decision to follow You. Father, I pray that they would follow You this day. That they would say, Lord Jesus Forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. And that they would, Lord, receive the light before it's hidden from them. And Father, I pray for the believers here that they would take of Your wisdom and walk in it and not think that they could disobey it, even if it's a naive disobedience, and think that they could just walk from it. But Father, that they would take hold of Your Word and the truth of it, and be able to walk in the light as You have for them. Have mercy upon them, I pray. Father, Abba Father, thank You. In the name of Jesus, Amen.